Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoy today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. like to stand with me. I'm going to be reading uh, John 13, uh, 34 through 35. We've been kind of talking about this verse the last couple of weeks, uh, but it says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you so that you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. This is the word of the Lord. There we go. Well, good morning, Rivers Church. How are we doing? Good. I want to ask you to join me in prayer briefly, and then you can have your seats after that. Lord God, we praise you that we have the opportunity to fellowship with you today. Lord, you didn't want heaven without us. You could have had it. Lord, you are perfect in your union of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You don't need anybody else, but you want us. You want to fellowship with your creation for all of eternity. And we get a taste of that today. We praise you for that gift. I want to be clear, I'm only doing this next part for Tyrone. And we ask, Lord, that the Phoenix Suns would continue their winning ways this evening. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I joke, thank you, you can go ahead and have your seats. It Sports is a funny thing, uh, and it's, I don't necessarily look it, especially when I, you know, stop sucking in my gut a little bit, um, but I, I enjoy sport every now and again, uh, but it, it can actually have some importance even to our work for the kingdom. Uh, just as an example, a buddy of mine, Glenn, he was doing campus ministry at Boston College in, you might be able to guess where, Kentucky, obviously, no, Boston. Uh, so he's doing campus ministry in Boston College, been there faithfully ministering on that campus for over 20 years. And he was there when the Boston Red Sox won their first World Series in almost a century, beating St. Louis Cardinals 4-0 in 2004 to break the curse, as it were. It's the first time they'd won the World Series since 1918. And people were celebrating, it was exciting, it was this momentous occasion, even if you weren't a Sox fan. But what he told me was really interesting, was he said, after that moment, the work of the gospel took off in Boston. Because over almost a century, that curse that people joked about and made snide remarks over had kind of become real. It was a little bit of this cloud that had started to hover over the city. And then once that went away, all of a sudden people were showing up to church more and willing to talk about Jesus more and something was happening. And I only point that out to say, don't miss this opportunity. There's a lot of excitement in our community now. 
the 116 degree weather is doing its best to dampen it, but there's a lot of excitement in our community right now, and we can seize that not just to watch a good basketball game, and they are good basketball games, but to connect with people. I'll talk to you about what I mean about that in just a little bit here. I want to say, uh, my name's Taylor Smith. If I haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet, I've gotten to speak here a few times. Pastor Tyrone and Pastor Amy were gracious enough to allow me that opportunity again. And it's a pleasure to be able to worship with you all here this morning, those of you here as well as those joining us online. And I want to point out, I was actually one of those joining us online last week. Sarah and William, my wife and son, they were here. I was a little under the weather, so I was at home. And I just want to say thank you real quick to our tech crew, because it is not a small amount of extra work to make this happen. It's not just pointing a camera at people. It's, it's a whole other thing of audio and everything. It's we may. Tech crews get weird about rounds of applauses. A lot of the time, a former member of a tech crew, a lot of the time we just like to hide in the back and be like, why are you looking at me? What did I do wrong? Because that's usually the only time we get looked at is like, why aren't the slides right, tech crew? That's the only time we get looks back there. So, you know, show some love to your tech crew if you would. Now, I was so grateful to be able to worship because of that extra work, but the other thing, was that bilingual service an absolute highlight of the year for anybody else? That was, I didn't know translation could be that fun. I didn't know we were allowed to have that much fun, just translating languages back and forth. I thought that was great. And even more importantly, I loved seeing a small glimpse of what the kingdom of God will be like. So I wonder if you understand this very important truth when every tribe, tongue, and nation confesses the glory of God when Jesus returns in his fullness, we won't all be doing it in English. We just need to be aware of that. And I think it's a beautiful glimpse that we get to, to take a step outside of the things that we're used to. I get a sense of the kind of worship that God experiences every single day. Do you realize that right now, as we sit and stand here, Tribes, tongues, and nations across this world are worshiping our Lord. He's not just hearing worship in English right now. And we just got a piece of that last week I thought was a beautiful thing. And something I particularly loved about not just last week but our last two services is this theme that we're on, this theme of love different, this call to love differently. Pastor Tyrone did a phenomenal job setting up this point for us, emphasizing our Lord's words from the Gospel of John. You've heard them already today, but it's worth it to hear them again. From John chapter 13, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. And Pastor Miguel, in turn, faithfully carried this message forward, reminding us, as he put it, that this passage is very, 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 very important. You may remember that from last week. He reminded us that our faith requires work. Now note, not to be saved, but to be useful to the kingdom of God. Our faith requires work. It requires action so that we might be useful to Jesus and his kingdom. It requires us to act on God's command to love each other as he loves us. Pastor Miguel reminded us that we are an example of what Christ-like love looks like. That is the task that we have been handed. And as I am blessed to follow up on both of these thoroughly spirit-filled messages, in particular, I hope you noticed how much the Spirit was speaking through Pastor Tyrone a couple weeks ago. 
every now and then you can just tell when somebody has been praying over a message for a long time and they speak that word forth and it just feels different. And I praise God that we have ministers who listen to the Spirit so attentively on our behalf that we might learn from them. So after those Spirit-filled messages, I want to start with a question. What does Christ-like love look like? I want to be clear. I'm not trying to trick you. It's not some cute answer to this question. I am only setting up what I want to discuss today. What I want to do is I want us to simply take a look at our Lord Jesus. I want to look at how he loved. How did he love his disciples? Because as our Lord says, same passage, but you're going to hear me emphasize this slightly differently. A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Since, as Pastor Miguel taught us, we are an example of Christ-like love, I'm really grateful that we also have an example of Christ-like love. And the best example possible at that, the very Lord who commands us to love as he loved shows us what that love looks like. We get to look at him, do what he does, and then know that we have honored this command. Today, then, to understand how we can live out this command from our Lord, we're going to focus on three specific ways in which we can model the love of Christ. First, we'll see that Jesus wants us to meet people where they are, and I mean physically. Second, we'll see he wants us to disciple each other. And third, we'll see that he wants us to correct each other with the goal of reconciliation. But before I dive into these three points, I want to emphasize something. I want to make sure we're clear on something. I want you to look at this passage. If it's not up behind me, if we could get that John 13 passage up there one more time. My mistake for not putting that in my notes. But I want us to look at this passage, this core passage of our series. It's come up week after week. What does the Lord give us? A new what? Command. A new command I give you. This is a command, an order from our Lord. And when followers of Jesus do not honor and live out the commands of God, we are in sin and we need to repent. If you look at your life today, if the Holy Spirit prompts you to look at your life, you are a follower of Jesus, and you are not loving as Christ has loved you, then you need to repent. You need to turn away from that lack of love, and you need to live out the example of our Lord. We need to start walking in the ways of love that Jesus modeled for us. How do we do that? Well, that's what we're here to learn today, so let's take a look. First, our first image of how we can love one another as Jesus loved us, we need to meet people where they're at. I mean physically. Let's look at how Jesus did this, setting up the passage a little bit. In chapter 5, the Gospel of Luke, we find Jesus having a pretty normal day for Jesus. 
healing leprosy, forgiving sins, healing paralysis, just a normal day for Jesus, which, don't miss, those healings are also ways in which God expresses love, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we can too. The forgiving sins thing is a little bit past us. That's sort of his gig. Uh, But there's things we can do through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we pick up the story in Luke chapter 5, verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Just in case you're a little bit newer in your examination of scripture, Levi and Matthew, same person. There might be a story that sounds similar. Wait, I thought this happened to a guy named Matthew. Levi, Matthew, same person. So just in case you get those mixed up, not to worry. Now, in these simple verses, we see a crucial way that Jesus loved Levi. He met him physically where he was. It's extremely unlikely that Jesus would have encountered Levi if our Lord had simply set up shop in one location and expected people to come to him. Because tax collectors were hated in Jewish society. They were considered the pawns of the Roman Empire, the oppressors of God's people. Why would Levi ever want to attend a gathering at which he would surely be despised, assuming his presence would even be tolerated? Jesus knew that to reach Levi, someone cut off from fellowship with God's people, he would have to go to him, physically go to him. That was how Jesus showed Levi love, by going to him and extending an invitation to have a relationship with the one true king of the universe, our Lord Jesus Christ. He went to Levi and he extended that invitation. And we need to be willing to do the same. And thus we come to our first lesson of how to love like our Lord Jesus. We need to go to those we are called to love. Now practically, this means we don't just invite people to church. It's a wonderful place for us to gather, but we don't just invite people to church. We also need to meet people where they are and live and speak the love of Jesus. Live and speak the love of Jesus. I want you to take just a couple seconds right now and think about what you could ask someone who does not know Jesus to do with you. I got props. Regular carrot top up here. Gosh, that reference dates me. Now, for me, the answer to this is that I play a particular card game. So I, on Friday nights, just about every Friday night, you were going to find me at North Valley Games, 32nd Street in Shea, just in case anybody wants to check it out. Free plug for them. Every Friday night, playing this particular little card game, I just take these weird little bits of cardboard. This one happens to have a bear on it. It's shiny. It's fun. I play this game. One, because I enjoy it. I'm not forcing myself to do something I don't want to do just to be around people who don't follow Jesus. I like this thing. And this little local game store is chock-a-block full of people who don't follow Jesus, who God desperately wants to know. 
And now here's the thing. I could get a group of believers together and play this game with a bunch of people who already follow Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I wonder if it's the best use of our time. I wonder if it's the best way to follow the example of our Lord. And this is why this thing we learn from the Lord here, it might get a little uncomfortable because there are times in which our Jesus-following friends, this might come across as a little rude to them. Because to make this kind of time for people who don't follow Jesus, you will have to say no to spending time with people who do follow Jesus. Not all. You're not abandoning the fellowship of God's people but you are carving out specific periods of time in which you will consciously fellowship with those who don't know Jesus. I'll give you an example. When I was in campus ministry for a few years, I was a pastor up at a college campus in Washington. And I've been a nerd for quite some time if this colorful collection of cardboard isn't an indication of that. And nerds are great at reaching other nerds because we automatically have something in common, you know, be it whatever game you're playing or something like that. And so what I did is I set out to find fellow nerds, but in this case, nerds who didn't know Jesus. Because if you don't know a nerd who starts following Jesus, oh, there's nothing like it. Because the passion and excitement and love that they have for whatever that thing is that they're nerdy about, I'm not even kidding. When that gets turned to the devotion of the kingdom of God, you've never seen anything like it. And if people in the sun's gear are feeling left out right now, don't worry, jocks are just sports nerds. So you're very much in this, this uh, uh, statement here. Don't worry about that. Now, naturally... To find my fellow nerds, I just went out and started offering to play various, you know, board games, sorts of tabletop role-playing games, various things. When I say board games, I don't mean like Candyland. I mean board games that can go like three to four to five hours and you keep playing them and you're out until four in the morning and your wife thinks you've crashed your car on the way home and, you know, almost sends out a search party. And that only happened once, uh, obviously. But what it is, is it's a substantial period of time. Week after week, I would sit down with these guys for a substantial period of time, and I consciously, purposefully, did not invite people who were already a part of our ministry. One of them asked me if they wanted to come. I might be okay with one or two coming, but here's the thing. I don't want all of my friends who don't follow Jesus to all of a sudden feel like they've been accidentally invited to a church service, because everybody there wants to talk about all the stuff we were doing at church the last week. I'm there to fellowship with them. I want to meet them on their turf because that's what I see Jesus doing here with Levi. And here's the thing. I started this fellowship with some of these guys on this college campus. It didn't stay a fellowship of mostly, mostly unbelievers for long. I was, at campus, I was at that campus for four years. Every year, we got another guy. Every year, another person in that group started following Jesus. Eventually, I think it was just kind of down to peer pressure. It was just the one guy left not following Jesus. But that fellowship, that relationship, the fact that I spent that time with them opened the door for that saving work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we see from our Lord. We need to physically go to where people are who don't follow Jesus. And once people know Jesus, there are still important ways that our Lord teaches us to love one another as he loved us. Namely, he shows us that we show love by discipling each other. A little bit of logic here for you. Since, as we learn in scripture, God is love, helping others get to know him is, therefore, an act of love. Some just basic logic for us. And Jesus discipled a great deal. He taught his disciples to pray. 
He taught them about the character of God. He introduced them to the Holy Spirit. He would guide them, who would guide them after Jesus returned to his heavenly throne. But Jesus didn't just teach his followers. He didn't just teach them. Because discipleship isn't just about teaching. It's not just about handing somebody all the stuff you know. It's also about challenging people to do things they otherwise would not do. We see this again from our Lord. If we take a look at Matthew chapter 10. Starting off in verse 5, it's speaking of the disciples. These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. So they're being sent out to who are, as far as Jesus is concerned, unbelievers or people who are misled. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Interlude here. Jesus then gives his disciples some specific instructions about what they should or should not bring with them and how people might react to this ministry. We pick up his call again in verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when, note he says when, they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. And here, Jesus sends his disciples out to do the necessary work of the kingdom of God. They had to have this experience, or they would have never been able to carry on the work of the kingdom after Jesus left. He couldn't just teach them. He had to press them to go and act, to live out the gospel. But maybe you can see how the disciples probably didn't want to do this, at least not completely. They haven't talked to a single person yet, and Jesus is telling them, you're going to get arrested, you're going to get flogged, you'll be beaten, you know, these horrible things are going to happen to you, and they're going to happen to you because I'm telling you to do this. He says to them, on my account, because you follow me, these horrible things are in store. There's some part of the disciples that probably doesn't want to do this. But part of Jesus' discipleship, part of his expression of love, was to press his followers to do things they didn't want to do because he knew they had to do it to be ready for what was coming. I've experienced this myself and not in the best way. Prior to being a pastor in this campus ministry, I was a student in it at a different university. And in this ministry, I loved these trips that we did. They were great. On our spring breaks, a group of us from our campus would travel to another campus that wasn't on spring break. So while we're on spring break, their campus, chock block full of students, we go there, 
and we partner with the local chapter of the ministry that we were a part of. So we get together with people from that campus. We go out in pairs. We walk up to people anywhere on campus. You look for somebody who looks reasonably unoccupied. You walk up to them. You say, hey, my name's Taylor. This is so-and-so. We're here with such-and-such ministry. We're actually on my spring break right now, and we wanted to spend our break coming out here, starting conversations with people, and asking specifically about faith. We wonder if you'd be willing to discuss, you know, your beliefs or kind of the idea of belief in general with us. Some of you, your heart rates are kind of going through the roof at the very idea of asking this question. Sometimes they'd say yes. Sometimes they say no. I tell you, I was never once punched in the face. I think that's what a lot of us, you know, the horror story we think of is like, oh, they're going to get mad. Nobody ever got mad. People got rude, but nobody ever got mad. So sometimes they say yes, sometimes they say no. And then you watch what happens. Because people start sharing their stories. You get to pray for people. You see people get healed. You see people come to saving faith in Jesus. All because, really, we did the first thing. We physically went and met them where they were at. And we talked about Jesus. So here I am, 18-year-old college freshman, never done anything like this. I've been following Jesus for about six months at this point. And I decide, yeah, I'm going to go on one of these trips. I'm all excited. And I get there on this trip, and we hit the first day that we're actually supposed to go out and have conversations with people. And I hid. No, I hid very spiritually, mind you. But I hid. We had an odd number of people that made this easier so in the name of helping out the pairs, making sure all the, the pairs worked out, I graciously volunteered to go and pray. I found this really nice quiet spot on campus, and I would go and I would, I would pray for our trip and, and pray for those who were going out and, and, and ministering. doesn't sound bad. I did it that entire first day. Then I did it again the entire next day. I hid. I hid very spiritually, but I hid. So on the third day of the trip, one of the leaders, a guy by the name of Weston Stover, I am grateful to him for this day, to this day, comes up to me as we're figuring out pairs. He says, you're going out with me today. And I try my little, you know, oh, no, I'm having a really great time praying, and I don't want to mess up the pairs, and people are already comfortable working with each other. He says, no, going out with me today. And he introduced me to the amazing glory of walking with the Holy Spirit in his saving work and doing things I would never have the boldness to do on my own for the gospel. And as somebody who got to grow up in the great state of Alaska and see some of the most beautiful creation that this world has to offer, as somebody who has gotten to watch the birth and the life of my son so far, I can tell you with confidence there is nothing more beautiful than seeing someone come to saving faith in Jesus and knowing that you got to have even some small part of doing that. There is nothing more beautiful. It's an incredible expression of love that Weston stepped up, looked at me, and said, no, to love you right now, I need to call you to do something you don't want to do. Our Lord did that for his disciples. We need to be willing to do that for each other. So we've seen that if we are to fulfill Jesus' command to love each other as he loved us, two things so far. First, we need to go and meet people who don't know Jesus physically where they are. And second, we need to press each other to do new and sometimes scary things for the kingdom. Finally, Jesus also shows us that sometimes to love means to explicitly correct, to point out when something is being done wrong, and to correct each other to achieve reconciliation. 
Though this might seem harsh at times, Jesus always did this with the goal of reconciliation. Let's look at an example of our Lord loving in this way so we can understand how he does this. From Matthew chapter 17. When they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. You unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed at that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. There are multiple points that I want to make sure we grasp here. First, note the willingness to learn from the disciples. They come to Jesus and ask him why they failed. They know they messed up and they want to know how they can do it better next time. This is the opposite of how we act in our culture. We are terrified of being wrong in our country today, and it inspires us to do one of two things. Either one, we just stop trying to learn anything altogether, because if you don't try to learn anything, you can't be wrong. Or two, we insist we are right. Persistently, aggressively, even violently, even when all the evidence and the wisdom stacked up against us says that we're wrong, we insist that we're right. That is not what we see in the disciples here. They know they're wrong, and they want to learn how to do it better next time. That is an admirable quality. Next, we need to note that Jesus does not pat them on the head and tell them they did fine. He explicitly calls out where they've strayed, where they need correction. In this case, their lack of faith. He's very honest with them about that. He doesn't say, it's okay, you'll get them next time, and then just send them out the door. They want to learn, he's going to take advantage of that opportunity. And finally, Jesus delivers this correction with hope in mind. He emphasizes that if the disciples can address this deficiency, if they can correct for this lack of faith, to put it the way Jesus did, nothing will be impossible for them. Jesus doesn't just leave them wallowing in their lack of faith. They don't come to him and say, Lord, why couldn't we do it? You don't have enough faith. Figure it out. Not at all. He puts this hope in front of them. He takes this moment of correction to disciple his followers, inviting them to know more of God, even as he honestly speaks about their failure. That is what correction looks like when the goal is reconciliation, to point out something that's going wrong and hold out hope for how correcting that mistake can make things better. And when we consider how to apply this teaching so that we might fulfill our Lord's command to love as he loves, we need 
to do so with wisdom. I hesitated even including this example of how Jesus loves us. I almost cut it as early as this morning <laughs> because some pastors would not want me to share this passage because they don't trust their congregations enough to be able to handle this kind of responsibility. And I praise God that I am not standing before a fellowship where that is a concern that I have. And my continued prayer is that we would, for as long as we are a fellowship, be a trustworthy fellowship that would hear the word of the Lord, that our pastors would not have to be scared to speak the word of the Lord, that they could speak it forth in truth and be confident that we would receive it in the Holy Spirit. I pray we would be that kind of fellowship. I choose to believe that by the guidance of the Holy Spirit and by embracing Pastor Tyrone's call to seek wise counsel, that we can model Jesus' method of restorative correction. I choose to believe we can do that. But how do we do this well? And this is a big question, how to handle correction within the church. But there are two specific action steps that we can take, even today. First, seek wise counsel. If you were concerned with something someone does, says, a way they act, now note, not just because it bothers you, but because you think it limits their or our community's example to love people, live like Jesus, and lead others to him. If it gets in the way of that mission, then you go and you seek wise counsel. You come to Pastor Tyrone, you come to Pastor Amy, Pastor John Mark, you come to one of the leaders of our church. And I'm gonna make this about me, just to give you an example. You would come to one of them and say, I was concerned with insert specific thing Taylor said in his message. What do you think I should do? And as you and that faithful pastor both listen to the Spirit, our God will guide you in the steps that you should take. He is faithful to bring that wisdom. So first, seek wise counsel. Second, as you've sought that wise counsel, ask more questions. Do not assume you know why someone did or said something, or even if they did or said the thing you think they did or said. It is never safe for us to assume that. We need to ask the person questions. Not our Facebook feed, not our Twitter followers, not that person's friends. We need to ask the person where it is safe to do so questions. And pray the Holy Spirit blesses you with the humility to accept if you are incorrect. Because in our culture, we have given up on being wrong. We don't ask questions to actually learn things anymore. We ask questions to prove why we're right. We ask questions to make other people look bad. We follow the advice of lawyers. Never ask a question you don't already know the answer to because we've given up on learning. So if you ask a question, you need to, by seeking humility from the Holy Spirit, actually be willing to accept if you were incorrect in your assumptions about what happened there. Again, making this about me, after you have sought the wise counsel of someone here, you could approach me and say, I was troubled when you said, insert specific thing in your message. Here's the question. 
why did you choose to say that? And my prayer for you is that you would actually be willing to answer or listen to what I would have to say. And my prayer for me is that I would have the humility from the Holy Spirit to receive that word with the same attitude that the disciples had when they came to Jesus and said, why could we not cast it out? They wanted to learn. They wanted to be useful to the kingdom of God. Don't assume you know what other people are thinking or what their motives might be. We need to ask questions. Now, if you look at our passage, Jesus didn't ask any questions. Well, Jesus doesn't need to. See, he has this unique little bonus that he knows our minds and our hearts perfectly. So he doesn't need to ask questions. We're a bit lacking in that way. So we need to ask some more questions. That's how we can live this out well. And remember, in all of this, our goal is hopeful correction that achieves restoration. Our goal is not to teach someone a lesson as our country or our world uses that expression. And our goal is never to shame or embarrass people. That is not what our Lord shows us. We are called to love each other as Jesus loves us, which means we only correct with the goal of reconciliation. That's it. Now let's run through these points one more time as we wrap up. And this time, I am gonna tag on something practical that you can do with every single one of these points this week, even today. Something you could do, actually, with one of these, quite literally today. I can think of a scheduled appointment that we'll get to in a second here that you could use for one of these things. I wanna start from the back. Pursuing hopeful correction with the goal of reconciliation. That is one way in which our Lord loves us and we are called to love each other. The practical point for this, honestly ask someone why they did or said something that you believe hurt their or our community's ability to love people, live like Jesus, and lead others to him. Actually ask. Now, obviously, this is a question for a believer. Obviously, you're not going to be going to somebody who doesn't know Jesus and asking, why are you doing this thing that's making it harder for you to love people, live like Jesus, and lead others to him? It doesn't make any sense to ask that question of a non-believer, just to be clear on that. Rather than assuming you know, ask that friend or family member or close acquaintance. Ask them the question. Open the door for restoration. And if you are someone who has asked one of these questions, be like the disciples and seek to grow in godliness. I pray that you would be willing to learn. Next, we are called to disciple one another. Jesus loved us that way, so we should love one another. This one's easy. Join either Flourish, our women's study, on Wednesdays at 6.30 right here at the church, or Monday Men on, well, Mondays, because we're bad at naming things. Historians and men, two groups who are bad at naming things. Historians, you know, we come across this, you know, we have to name all these wars. There's all these wars in history, and we think, oh, well, there was this war. It was over the whole world. What do we call it? Oh, well, let's call it the World War. Oh, was it the first one? No, it was the second one. Well, let's call it World War II. You know, just to be clear, we're terrible at naming things. But Flourish and Monday Men both, I attend Monday Men, Sarah, my wife, attends Flourish, and I can say with confidence, these groups will press you 
to do things you might not be comfortable with, godly things you might not be comfortable with. Just at one of our recent gatherings of Monday Men, we were looking at Scripture's call to speak prophetic words to each other. And we pressed each other to actually do that. Prophetic words were spoken at that little Bible study because people were pressing each other to believe that the Holy Spirit has things that he wants to say to others through you. Part of how we love each other is pressing each other to do things that might not make us comfortable. Finally, we need to meet people who need to know Jesus where they're at. This week, invite your friend who doesn't know Jesus to watch a movie instead of just your crowd of Christian friends. Space Jam 2 is coming out. Get excited for that. Fill a tea time with unbelieving friends and keep that going. As you do that prayerfully, you will be amazed with what the Holy Spirit will do. And here's the really cool thing. Eventually, you actually won't be that amazed anymore because the Holy Spirit's work of saving and healing and redeeming and sanctifying can just become a normal part of your life. And that's the most beautiful thing in the world is when we become just 1% less surprised at what the Holy Spirit's up to because we're just that much more used to fellowshipping and walking with him. Here's an easy one. I think there's something going on at like seven or eight o'clock tonight. If I'm not mistaken, there's this basketball team. I see Doug Reppin right over here. I guarantee you there's plenty of unbelieving people in this valley, many of whom you know who want to watch that game. What if you took the opportunity to fellowship with them. Granted, it'll only be for two more games because the Suns are going to take this in four. We just, you know, it's going to happen. But that opens a door for you to begin that relationship. You can choose to meet somebody who doesn't know Jesus where they are so that they might come to a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. As I know we'll be closing in worship in just a bit here, I want us to take a moment in just a bit I want to invite us to quietly rest in God's presence. Listen to what he has to say. Let him speak to you how he wants you to live out Christ-like love this week and for every week to come. that you know that we can be stern knuckleheaded, that we would need examples of what it looks like to love as you loved us, that we have short memories, Lord, and that you, if you had not blessed us with such clear visions of how you love, practically how you love, not just the command, go and love, but actual practical ways to do that, Lord, you know that we have such short memories that if you hadn't blessed us with that, we would have forgotten it generations ago but you showed us, Lord. 
and by your Holy Spirit, you have inspired countless generations of your faithful people to continue showing us what it looks like to live out Christ-like love. I pray, Lord, that we would number among those faithful. I pray, Lord, for those who are hearing my voice now that generations from now, whatever they heard from you as an example of Christ-like love would be an example to those future generations as long as we need them until you return in your fullness. I pray that by looking to your example, God, listening to your Holy Spirit, that we would walk out Christ-like love this week and every week to come. Lift this up to you in your son's holy name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.